Okay, so today we're going to do a studying of chapter 122. And the reason why I want to do this chapter of the Tehillim is because this is the chapter that we're going to begin saying for an entire year every day as it's the new chapter of the Rebbe's year of age. As on the 11th of Nisan, the Rebbe's birthday, and he becomes 121, and that makes us start chapter 122. As we know, the tradition that we say our chapter of the Psalms every day, and we also say the chapter Tehillim of the Rebbe, because that includes all the neshamas of all the Jews of around the world, and it connects us to the Rebbe in that way. And the Rebbe quoted a story in 1982, um, or end of 1981, on the 20th of Cheshvan. It was the birthday of the Rebbe Rashab, which would be the um, the fifth Chabad Rebbe. And the Rebbe said then a story that he said that in, in, in 1920, the Rebbe Rashab passed away. The Rebbe Rashab was born in 1861, in the year of Kisra, Tafrish of Aleph. And at 59 years old, he passed away in, in 1920. And that year, his chapter would have been six, chapter 60. Because we know we say a chapter to Hillel, and when you're born, you're... Chapter 1, when you turn 1 years old, you completed 1 year, and you go into Chapter 2. And when you finish uh, Year 1, when you hit 2 years old, it's Chapter 3, and like so on and so forth. So in 1920, um, he was to be Chapter 60. But the Rebbe notes that in 1964, sorry, in 1924, the previous Rebbe wrote a Rishima uh, uh, an essay on chapter on the chapter of Tehillim of chapter 64. So you see that even though his father had passed away already, there was still an idea to say the chapter of Tehillim. So we know that this is the way it is by a Rebbe, that even when we can't see them materially, physically anymore, we still say their chapter. So in the year of 1982, the Rebbe Rashab also would have been beginning chapter, to say every day, chapter 122. And that, he said, is a chapter that we're all going to say every day of the year. And it has great significance. And he explained some insights. So today, I would like to go through this chapter. It's a chapter with nine verses of the Book of Tehillim. And some fascinating insights on the literal level of understanding the this chapter of Tehillim. It's all about... King David's love and passion for the city of Jerusalem and the temple on Temple Mount. And we're going to learn the, the, the literal interpretations and also some of the more insight of Hasidus interpretation on this chapter. So this chapter is one of 15, what we call the Shir Hamalos. They're the songs of ascending. In the book of Tehillim, from chapter 120 onwards, for 15 chapters, they all begin the same way. They are the songs, they are the shir, ha-malot. Malot means of going up, ascending steps. So it's interesting to note that the, there's a various opinions about where these 15 
chapters or paragraphs or chapters of Tehillim come from. I'm going to quote some of the backgrounds of the 15 chapters, even though today we're going to learn the third of these 15. But just for the background of these 15, we say a number of them. I believe five of them. We say it every Shabbos morning in part of our praises to Hashem in the morning davening when you have more time on Shabbos. We say to Sheremalos. And we say this this year, we're going to be saying it every day of the year. So where do these the 15 chapters come from? So Rashi actually says that these are the songs that the Levites would sing in the base of Mikdash, in the temple. There was the court area where the Kohens were in the temple. There was an area where the Levites were. And then there was an area where the Israelites were. And then there were 15 steps, like moon-shaped steps, roundish steps. And these steps were were the steps that the, that the, uh, that the, that the Levites would stand when they would it would go from the men area down to the women's gallery and then from there they would go down to collect water for sukkahs so the 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 levites on every one of these steps they would take out all their musical instruments and on the first step they would sing the first song of ascend because that's the steps that took you to go from one section the women's gallery to the men's gallery and then they would sing on the second step a second shiramalos and this was the songs of ascending that's what rashi says the Talmud says something more interesting or different interesting, you could say, about the Shiramals. The Talmud says that King David, although he was not uh, granted permission to be the one to build the temple on Temple Mount, King David nevertheless prepared the temple space for the temple to be there. He, made, he prepared the mountain. So one of the things he did is, is he dug down by Temple Mount, really, really deep, because he wanted to build the foundations for the temple. He couldn't be the one to build the temple because Hashem said, Dam your hand has a lot of blood on it, and my temple is all about peace, so your son, King Solomon, will build it. So David dug down in the foundation, deep war, and all of a sudden he hit a place that was water started to submerge from there. And it threatened, the water started to come out in great uh, quantities that are threatened to inundate the entire world. So David said, who knows whether it's permitted to use Hashem's name and I'll write it on a, on a, you know, on, on a, on a piece of parchment or something and we'll throw it into the deep waters so that it will, the waters will kind of, you know, subside. And nobody answered the word. So David said, that whoever knows the answer and does not speak, then you may be punished for this. You'll suffocate in, the th- in your throat if you don't answer, because this is threatening to the safety of the whole world. So there was a great teacher, Achi Teufel, and he said, I'll make a Kalvachomer. And he said, he made an argument to himself. He said, if for the purpose to establish peace, harmony between a man and a wife, the Torah allows us to write God's name and the name will be dissolved in water. In other words, it will be wasted, so to speak, Hashem's name, but it will help for the peace between a couple. So he said, if that's permitted, then to be able to save the whole world, for sure we're allowed to 
uh, uh, use Hashem's name for this. And then David listened to that and he took it and he did that. What happened was when he threw the name of Hashem into the waters, the waters subsided and it went, the Talmud says, 16,000 cubits down. And when he saw that the, it still threatened the, the world, he got, he decided to recite the 15 passages of Shir Hamalos and that brought the water to ascend and 15,000 15, cubits, one cubit for each one of the 15 Shiramalas, and that was just the right amount of water to have. So that's what it says where he came about of these 15 songs of ascending. Then we have also another Medrash Rabbah that says that Jacob, for 20 years, when he learned to, when he stayed at his father-in-law's house, Lavan, the trickery man, so he used, to, it says in the Torah that he didn't sleep for 15 years, for 20 years. What did he do? So the Medr says he would sing the praises of these 15 songs of going up, I guess, to go up out of sorrow, and he would sing these songs of praises. There's another commentary from the Sadio Goin, and he says that these 15 songs are called the Songs of Ascent because they were, they were always sung in a higher pitch of song. That's why they're called the Song of Ascending, like raising the, the, the tone of the song. There's also a Radak, which is one of the well-known and accepted commentaries on the, in the Tanakh and in the Tehillim especially. And he says that ascend, when it says going up, it refers to ascending from exile. So that the Jewish people at any time in the future when they're going to go up to the land of Israel, they will use this, these songs of ascending. So that's why you find different expressions of affliction, of exile in these 15 passages and going up. So now in chapter 122, let's read one verse at a time and I'll try to uh, uh, bring out some of the commentaries on these uh, beautiful verses here. So the first one he says is, is Shir Hamalos Ledavid. This is a song of ascent by David. What did he say? So David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of God. So again, let's understand this verse. So he says, it's a song of ascent by David, which is interesting because very few of the 15, I think maybe four of them, it uses the word that it's a song of ascent by David. They don't all say David, Shir Amalos of Shuvah Hashem as Shiva Tzion, you know that song by Benching, and other other Shir Amalos ones, it doesn't say by David. So why over here does it say by David? So the Radak, like I said, the commentary on, on the Tehillim, he says like this, he says that when it says that it's ascribed to David, it's because of something very fascinating that was going on. David said to himself, David said that there are people that 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 this, he said we could say that not that the ones that don't say David's name means they were composed by others, but doesn't say who the author was. And this one that says David's name means that he actually is the one that said it because he was representing the thoughts of the Jews that were exiled. And out of the great desire 
for their te- they, they, they were yearning to have the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash of the temple, and that's why he said it about their yearning. So that's why the next words that say he, David said Samachti, I am so happy. I'm so glad. I'm so happy. He said when. When people have been telling me that base Hashem Nelech, they're going to the house of Hashem. That's where they're going. Why was he so? Why was he so happy when he heard people saying that they're going to go? That they're going to the place of the house of Hashem. Mean they're going to Jerusalem. So Rashi says that what does it mean that he heard? People saying, he heard people saying that the people heard that David's not going to be the one to build the temple. Who's going to be the one? It's going to be King Solomon, his son. So they said to themselves, when is this old man going to die? In other words, when is David going to die? And his son will already be able to be the king. And then we'll be able to have the temple and we'll be able to go up there. So David said, when I heard people wish that I should die, for what reason? In order for my son to already be in the position to build the temple, he said, I'm happy. In other words, if that's the reason why they want me to die so that they could be the ones to build the temple, that Shlomo can build the temple, which already have the days already. So he said, Samachti, I am already happy about that. Now, I want to bring to you a halacha that the Rambam brings down regarding the use of these words, samachti, that I'm happy when they're going to say, that, that, that I, I'm happy that they're saying that they want to go pray by Hashem. Rambam brings down a law in the Hilchos Bikurim in the Rambam. Bikurim is from the first fruits that a person uh, grows. You have to donate it to Israel. It's part of the 24 uh, you have to donate it, bring it to Israel for the Kohanim. But there was a procession for this. It's actually brought down in Parashat Sav today and about the 24 gifts that we give to the Kohen. But there was a procession for this where they would announce this verse. He says that when you brought up the Bikurim, these gifts, all the, uh, all the cities would gather together in whoever's turn it was to be there to, to take up uh, charge to watch the offerings that were that were brought up. So they would come to the cities. Nobody would go up alone because it says that the, the greater honor of a king is when there's many people. So people would go up together and they would go into the main streets of the cities and they would they would make sure not to stop at any houses that are maybe impure. And they would take an ox that would go in front of them, and on the horns of the ox, they would adore it with gold, and and um, and and uh, design it uh, like of an olive shape on the top. I guess a little round corner top of the horns of the ox, and this was a sign to show that we're bringing up these greatest fruits from the seven um, seven fruits of the land, or seven species of the land, and the grains. And they would take out their flutes in front of them and they would come close to the streets of Jerusalem and everybody would call out Samachti, the verse from this verse of Shiramalas that David said, Samachti, I'm happy when when they would say to me that that they're going to the house of God. In other words, 
this would be a, a proclaimed statement, these words that David said, wasn't just that he said it one time in this Shiramalas. It was something that was part of the ritual service for hundreds and hundreds of years when we would bring the Bikurim offerings to the temple, that everybody would say these verse that, of the, these words that David said, that I'm happy when people say that they're going up to Israel. It's also interesting, some say that King David said this in regards to the father of his of his teacher of his prophet david's teacher was the prophet samuel shmuel and avi and shmuel's father was elkana elkana and chana and elkana it says that every time every year he would bring offerings up to the mishkan at those days it was the 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 the, the traveling temple and every time he would travel around and go through different cities and people would say, where are you going? And he would say, I'm going to bring offerings up on the temple. And people would say, what? You're going? We want to go with you. And every time he would go, he went through a different route. And like this, he got hundreds and hundreds of people to join him to make the pil- their pilgrimages up to the temple to bring their offerings. So again, David, again, is alluding to this idea that I'm happy when people say that they're going to the temple. It makes me feel good. I'm happy about this news. Okay, so that's the first first verse. In the second verse of the chapter 122, he says, that our feet were standing within your gates. He's saying is that my, our feet are standing firm. They're standing firm there. We're Bisharayich Yerushalayim in the gates of Jerusalem. So first, what it means that it was standing, your feet are standing in, in Jerusalem. What does this refer to? Meaning that he says, very interesting, he says that what it really alludes to is that he says, David says, I didn't marry, I'm not meriting to actually be there in the temple in the, the base of Mikdash, which is going to be on Mount Moriah, right? But nevertheless, he says that by me having my feet grounded in Yerushalayim, meaning that I have the merit of learning of Torah, it's all worth it. So my feet standing there, meaning I have my values are there firm on the ground, the values of his feet standing there. And then, he, again, he says the words, Bishoraich Yerushalayim, on the gates of Yerushalayim. Now you're going to see in this chapter a number of times the words Yerushalayim, and this is one of them, and it's an interesting poem written like that because some of the words of certain verses finish with the word Yerushalayim and start with another word Yerushalayim, finish and start different verses, continuation with the same words, shows on an interesting way of writing you know, uh, the, this, this poem here. Verse 3 says, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim Habanuya, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, that is built like a city that united all together. And this is an interesting thing. What do you mean that it's a city that's uniting all together? There has to be some, some depth there when you say that it's a city that unites. 
So when we say that it's a city that unites, there's various different opinions about what this refers to when you say it's a, un, a, a uniting city. What's a uniting city? It has to be something meaningful here. So what it means is, Rashi brings down that it's just like the city of Shiloh, where the temple stood for 369 years in Shiloh. Later, when it came into Jerusalem, it's similar to that idea that it unites different ideas of inheritance. He also brings down that our sages teach us that there is two kinds of Jerusalem. There's a Yerushalayim Shalmaila, there's a Jerusalem above in heaven, and there's a Jerusalem down here on earth. So uniting refers to uniting those both together. Now, in that Fabrengen of 1981 on the 20th of Cheshvin, when the Rebbe quoted this thing that he said that every year, that that year we're going to be saying chapter 122 every single day. So the Rebbe said there's a great emphasis on this idea of uniting. It's a Yerushalayim Habanuya. It's a Yerushalayim that's Ki'ir, like the verse, like the like the third verse here, Shechubra Layachtav, it will unite together. Meaning, he said that there's two kinds of Jews. There's two kinds of styles in Jews. Because we see in the Chumash that there's a group called the Rashechem Shivtechem. There's the heads of the tribes. And then you have all the way down to the lowest level is the water carriers. In other words, the most simplest Jew, the most sophisticated, learned Jew to the most simplest Jew that's a water, we call them the water carrier or the, or the wood choppers. So he said that we have to make an emphasis that even the people that are on the higher level, they represent the Yerushalayim Shalmaila. They represent the higher category of Jerusalem. That refers to the higher levels of the souls that are amongst Jews. That even such a Jew that knows that his whole idea is Torah and spirituality, that's his whole role, and to the point that we say that it unites, as the Mishnah says, it unites even to the point that there's such a great uh, trusting in Jerusalem that we trust anybody that says which kind of fruits is pure and which ones are not pure. We trust everybody for what they say. There's this uniting force of faith amongst each other. So you take that category of the learned people and you have to know that this learning category of people has to go all the way and unite even with the more simple kind of level person. Meaning those souls that represent the lower level of Yerushalayim. Meaning the level of the, the, the material level of Jerusalem. So there's the spiritual and also the spiritual and the material components. Both have to combine her together. This unity between all kinds of levels amongst Jews is something that we're going to get to say this entire coming year with chapter 122, even on weekdays, not just on Shabbos. Usually we say it only on Shabbos. Here we're going to say it also on uh, every day of the year. And this is in addition to the last two verses of this chapter that we say it every day after in Kelokenu. When we say, right? At the end you say, that 
he asks for blessings of, of, of peace for the sake of my brothers and my friends, my brethren and my friends, and I pray that peace should be with you. And then you say, Laman, Beis Hashem for the sake of the house of God, he's asking for, for that there should be goodness there. So again, this idea of asking for peace and goodness for everybody to be united together, for all the brethren. And... This, the Rebbe learns, by the way, on a side note, but not such a side note, but it's in that same Fabring in there, he brings there, that at, at, in the same context, that this is to bring a greater lesson of enthusiasm in the ten mitzvahs, the ten mitzvahs, especially on the Avas Yisrael, love your fellow Jew, because uniting, this is the chapter of all about uniting different people together, and that will lead also to bringing uh, uniting people to all the ten mitzvahim, and especially to us uh, to subscribe Jews that every Jew should have a letter in a Torah to get people to buy a letter in a Torah because by uniting people by a letter in the Torah that's really how you unite everybody together because if there's missing one letter in the Torah the whole Torah is not kosher so that means if you're missing one Jew there's a problem so you need to unite every single Jew so again that's emphasized here he also brings down that that's the connection with the Rebbe Rishab's name because his name was Shalom again which is the idea of bringing peace and there's also uh, his name in the Yiddish of Dove, which means a, a, a beer. A beer has lots of, uh, fle- you know, meat, meat to the beer, which is an idea of, uh, of materialism, but the idea is, is to unite it together in a spiritual way. And this is the point about the city that unites. So uniting together, Yerushalayim, Shalmaila, referring to the spiritual people and the spiritual souls, there are Sheikham Shivtechem, today have to know that we have to combine it with the Chayte Vetzacha Vesheh with the woodchoppers and the water carriers. So that's the idea in this next verse about uniting, uniting together, the, when that's what he means, it's the city, Jerusalem is the city of uniting. Number four. Fascinating verse, he says now. In the fourth verse, he says that Shasham Alu Shvatim. Over there in Jerusalem, Alu Shvatim. The year the tribes ascended. The tribes went up, meaning the 12 tribes, all the Jews that are the descendants of the of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids, the 12 tribes, the 12 boys, and they are the 12 tribes. And each uh, tribe had many children, that makes up the Jewish nation. So there the tribes ascended, meaning we came out of Egypt, and the tribes of God. That's So here how the verse says it. He says that it's the Shasham Alu Shvatim, the Shvatim, the tribes go up. Who are the Shvatim? Shivtei Yudhei, they are the tribes of God. Edus li Yisrael, they're a testimony for the Jewish people. Lahaydes, l'shem Hashem, to offer thanks into the name of God. Rashi says something fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. What does it mean over here that if the tribes will go up, first of all? So it means that from Shiloh, they went up from Egypt, they came to Shiloh, and now that's where they established the Mishkan, the, the, the tabernacle, and then later in Jerusalem itself. But why does the verse say that the sh- tribes went up, and then he calls them Shiftei Yud Hey, they're the tribes of God. And, these, and then the verse adds, they are testimony to Israel. The tribes of God is testimony to Israel. So he says like this, there were many non-Jews that 
started to come up with all kinds of nonsense stories after we left Egypt. And they said that the Jews that are leaving Egypt are not really Jews. They said that the, the Jews are mamzerim. How did they come to this conclusion to come up with such a awful kind of story to say that we're like mamzerim? How could they call the, 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 say that the Jews are mamzerim? So they said, look, if the men were subject, their bodies were subject to the Egyptians. In other words, us Egyptians, we had control over the bodies of the men and we made them be slaves in Egypt. You think we didn't have control over the women? In other words, these kids that are born from these Jewish women in Egypt are actually our children. That they're not really children of their husbands. They came up with this story. So they were trying to spread a rumor that the Jewish boys that were born in Egypt were born from Egyptian fathers. So Hashem said, I am going to show testimony that these children, these Jewish women in Egypt were very faithful and they would have never done such kind of act with the Egyptian men. And they are, these children are actually B'nai Avaisayim, they're the children of their fathers. And that's why in the Chumash, in Bamidbar, in chapter 26, Hashem says there, when he counts the Israelites, he says, Uveni, Hashim Oni. Why does he say like that? Uveni, it's the Reubenite of mine, the Shimonite of mine. Why does he add a He and a Yud by each one of the tribe's names? So Hashem says, my names, my letters, Yud and He, of my name will be testimony to the fact that I could testify that they are the children of Israel, the actual children and descendants of the tribes themselves and not of these Egyptian men. And that's why it says in the verse here, in verse 4 of this chapter, that the tribes went up and these are the tribes of Yudhei. When it uses Hashem's name, it only uses Yudhei, alluding to that Yudhei that was added to the names of the tribes to put away any kind of nonsense stories that others came up with to try to distract people of the truth. Now, the Rebbe brings down in a mimer the Hasidic depth of interpretation here of when it says here twice in the verse the name Shvatim because it could have been written a little bit with a less you know, less words. You don't have to have so many words because it says over here the tribes went up, the tribes of God. It could have just said to begin with, the tribes of God went up. Why does it have to say it twice? And also why in the second time when it says the word tribe, it says that they were testimony for Israel. So the Rebbe brings down like this, that it's brought down in Hasidus that there's the tribes, meaning the 12 children of Jacob. And then you have before them, was Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, which are considered our avos. They were our forefathers. So he says like this, based on Kabbalistic ideas, that there's different levels of being completely devoted to Hashem. The avos, our forefathers, were the most devoted human beings ever to live to Hashem. They are called a Merkava. Merkava means a chariot. They were so devoted like a chariot is devoted to its rider, whatever, whoever's pulling it. 
the horse, the wagon, the wagon is devoted to the horse, right? That's pulling it. So that's a chariot. Why is it so devoted? Because it has no desire of its own. If the horse goes, the wagon goes. The chariot goes. If it goes to the right, it goes to the right, to the left, it stops. That's it. It follows. It has no desires of its own. So it says that the forefathers were devoted Merkava of the highest level of the world of Atsilos. There are four worlds. The highest world is called the world of complete holiness, the world of Atsilos. So in that world, our forefathers are called a chariot in the level of that highest level. The Shvatim, the 12 tribes, they, their job was to bring this kind of level of chariot devotion, to bring it down to the next world, to world two, called the world of creation. Then bring it down to the world of Yitzira, the world of formation. Then bring it down to Asiya, the world of action. Now, going, bringing down this level of the Avos, of our forefathers, bringing it down, the tribes would bring it down. They were like, it's brought down, that the tribes, the, the name is based on a verse that says, Kochva de Shavit. It's like a star that shoots out. It's not exactly like a, like a flying star, but it's a star that like like that that fly that shoots out. So they were like the, the word on the shevet, which means the tribes, it was like this kochav the shevet, like this star that goes flying out. Meaning it brings down. Their job was to bring down the holy levels of the forefathers, to bring it down to the lower worlds. This idea of the lower worlds is also hinted to in the tribe of what you, in the dream what Yosef said about all his brothers. Yosef said to his brothers that I had a dream of gathering of the wheat stocks. So gathering is a is a referral referring to the idea of anywhere where there's things that are spread out, not united, the job is gathering them into stocks into bundles. So when Yosef said that the brothers are all gathering together because that's their spiritual job, to gather together anything that's pure, that's spread out, and bring it united together in a unity. And that's the idea of the job of the tribes in the spiritual sense. What's their job? The job of the tribes was to elevate the lower three worlds back up to the level where our forefathers were to the world of Atsilas. And that's why in our verse here it says, Shasham Olushvatim, that the tribes went up. What do you mean went up? Since they had gone down, they now had to go back up. And then the verse continues and says, Shivte Yudke, that they were the tribes of the letters of Yudke because they went so high up to the letters of the higher half of Hashem's name, the Yud and the He, which is, the Yud and the He is much more connected to the world of Atsilus, which is that higher spiritual world. Now by the tribes themselves, the second time, when it mentions the word tribe, as I said, it says, Shifteya, Eidus Lisha, their testimony. Because testimony, you say testimony on something that's not revealed, on something that's concealed. So when you want to get out, the idea of concealment, something that's concealed, you need testimony. So when it says that the tribes worked so hard in their ascending, it had to do with this idea that they ascended to in, to the level of revealing the levels that are concealed. Now, so that's from a, a mimer from the Rebbe in Parsha Pikude, Eila Pikude of the year of 1960, he said that. But also he said the very similar ideas in a mimer in 19. 54, again, that this is the job of the, of the tribes and through reading 
which we do now in the month of Nisan, every day now we read what the tribe's offerings were to God, what they did and how they did it and what the kind of animals. Again, that's the way to reveal something from a concealed state to a revealed state. In another discourse in 19. 55, he spoke there of the same similar idea of that the drab of the tribes was like this, this spark that this star that comes flying out, which is again the idea to bring things down from above to below. And that gave them a strength to work on the opposite direction from below to going up. And again, he said this again in a similar idea in 1957 in two different discourses there. He also brought down there that the tribes are made up of 12, 12 tribes. And that's because in the emotions of a person, you have six, six, mainly six emotions plus malchus. But if you take the six and you double that, because it's like taking a, uh, you know, it's like when you take a, a, uh, directions of the world, right? So we have, you have the, in directions, you have um, right, left, straight, back. So it's four plus below and plus up, right? So if you take a box, right? So you have the similar idea if you take a, a, a diagonal of a cube formula and you have now diagonal lines going from each direction, from one point corner to the other point corner, all the different directions from top to bottom and up and down. So you'll end up with another six. So that's how you get to the idea of the 12. And the job of the 12 tribes is to combine the 12 different angles, lines together and basically take it through 12 different methods to bring it close to Hashem. Like he brings down that it's interesting. We say that Hashem split the sea it says in Tehillim that Hashem split the sea in many paths. So the commentaries say the many paths was 12 paths. Each tribe, when it was split, wasn't just the way we all think, just one big path in the sea. It actually split in 12 paths and every tribe went through another trap, another path. Now, by the way, when Mashiach comes, it says the, the expression is that the river is going to be split to seven because over there you're going to have the, the, a deeper than the six emotions. You're even going to have the idea of Pnimius Hatainug, which refers to, refers to very deep levels of, of enjoyment in the relationship with Hashem. And these are ideas that's going to be more revealed by Mashiach as we're going to learn more Torah when Mashiach comes of this idea. And again, several different places this is brought down in the Rebbe's uh, teachings, but this is the general gist about the idea when we say that over that, that Shesham Alushvatim, from there, the tribes will ascend, the tribes ascend there, meaning Jerusalem, they, as the Rashi's point, the literal level of, of proving it, but then it says in second, Shivteka, it's the tribe of God, referring to the names of Yudke, which is the idea of the the tribes bringing back up after they brought down the job of the forefathers to bring it back up. Now, let's go on to verse 5. Over there, pray for the welfare of Jerusalem. May those who... Sorry, sorry. Chapter verse 5. For there, the seats of justice were located. In Jerusalem, that's where the seats of justice are located and the throne of the house of of David. Now, what does this refer to? So he brings the, the, the Evan Ezra brings down that this refers to 
sorry, Edevin Ezra, and, all, yeah, and also the, the Metsudas David, these are famous commentaries on the Tillam say, that when it says that the seats of justice were located there in Jerusalem, that's because the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme Jewish court of the 71 sages, where was that located? In Jerusalem, and also the throne of David was also established there because in because David also was the ruler of the Sanhedrin and brought justice rules, and that's what this verse refers to when it says, "For there the seats of justice, meaning the Sanhedrin and the throne of David, also where he gave his rulings as well." Okay, so that is in verse five. Okay, in other words, he's also praying that it should continue, the place of justice should be also from Jerusalem. Number six, the sixth verse says like this. Shalu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray, beg, request. Shalu is like, like ask for something. Ask, pray, beseech. Shloim, the shalom, the welfare, the peace for Jerusalem. Yishloyu, oyavayach. Those that love you should find peace there in Jerusalem. Now, what does this verse actually refer to? Very uh, interesting. So he says like this. The Radak brings down that in the time of exile, we should ask from Hashem for the peace of Jerusalem. And for the gather in gathering of all the Jews that are exiled all around the world. Because until we had Jerusalem, we were fighting and fighting in all the different places where we moved around. So once we have Jerusalem, we want it to be peaceful already. Now, the Rebbe, in a couple different Fabrengans, one is a Fabrengan of... Uh, Erev Rosh Chodesh Menachem of 1976, another for bringing in 1989, where he explains like this, something interesting about this verse, which actually teaches us a lot. You have this verse that says, ask for peace, right? Pray for peace, for the welfare of Jerusalem. Now, are we, we're talking seemingly about two different points. First, he said that he's happy that people said they want to go up to the house of God. Now he's saying peace for the whole of Jerusalem. Is there a difference between when you talk about Temple Mount or you talk about the existence of all of Jerusalem? So in other words, is the temple only the temple or is the holiness of the temple really the whole of Jerusalem? And the Rebbe brings an interesting thing that he says that it's people don't pay attention to this idea in the Rambam. In the Rambam, in the book of his book of the 14 books of laws, in this book of Avoda, so he starts off the book with the laws of Beis Habchira, which is the laws of building the temple. And the Rambam there says that. He goes through all the laws about the building of the temple. But what's interesting is, says the Rebbe, people don't pay attention. In the beginning of every book, volume of the 14 books, the Rambam, before he even starts the book, he quotes a verse 
almost all of them, a verse from the book of Psalms. Now in this book, where he starts off all the laws about the temple and the, the work in the temple and what's permitted, what's not permitted, and the whole, the whole book is all about how things work in the temple. So over there, in the line verse that he chooses from the entire book of Tehillim is this verse, verse 6. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Ask, pray for the welfare of Jerusalem and those that love you. May those that who love you find peace. Says the Rebbe, why does the Rambam choose this verse that pray for peace for Jerusalem when he's talking about not Jerusalem, he's talking about the, the sanctuary that's in Jerusalem on Temple Mount. The Rambam should have brought down another verse in relation to the actual temple itself. Why does the Rambam bring down a verse about the city of Jerusalem in, in general? Says the Rebbe, here you could see the Rambam's opinion, which is a unbelievable strong opinion. The Rambam is of the belief that in Jewish law, that the temple has the same holiness as the whole of Jerusalem. That the whole of Jerusalem has the same holiness as the temple. It's all one thing. That's an amazing thing to say. That the entire Jerusalem is like the holiness of the temple. That's very, that's a very powerful thing to say, right? But you see, the fact that the Rambam says this, that means that he's of that opinion. That it has to be that, that the whole of Jerusalem that is the same holiness. And that's why, how do we know that the Rambam is this opinion? Because he writes that in the Mishnayis. But the fact that he should come here and say that here means that he holds that that is his opinion. That the whole Jerusalem has the holiness of the temple. And that's why he quotes this verse. Pray for the welfare of, of Jerusalem. And he brings down that verse when he talks about the laws of the Beis HaMikdash. Because he wants to show you here. He's alluding to this idea. And not just that. Even more. Rebbe points out that the Rambam also wants to teach you that uh, interesting thing because there's two verses here. There's two, there's two halachas that the Rambam says that seem to be contradictory. In the first law of the laws of building the temple, the Rambam says that it's a biblical commandment to ha- build the house of God, that it should be prepared in order to bring the offerings to God, which means that you need to have the temple in order to bring the offerings. But later on in chapter 6, paragraph 15, he says that even if you don't have the temple, you would be allowed to bring offerings. Why? Because he says that there's a spiritual sense of offerings. The spiritual sense is that whenever you want to get close to Hashem, you could get close to Hashem. You offer your feelings, you offer your, your, your animalistic behaviors and so on. So by bringing, so, so is it that, the, so does the Rambam, is he of the opinion that you must have the actual physical temple or not? So here from bringing down this verse, pray for the welfare of Jerusalem, teaches you that the Rambam says we must have the temple physically in order to have the completion 
that those who love you should be able to have, be in peace and have relaxed comfort, you need to have the temple in a way that it's an, a material substance of a temple. It's not enough just to have it in a spiritual sense because we want to have not just our service to Hashem spiritually, you want to be able to have your service to Hashem also in a physical sense that you should feel content. What do you see from by bringing down this verse? The Rebbe learns there a lesson in, the, in, in his edited talks, actually, in 1989, he said this, that the lesson is not to be affected or be down by anybody that tries to stop you and get in your way to serve Hashem. Because we have to know that in the times of exile, every Jew still has a piece of Israel that belongs to you. As the Rabbeim said, that our souls never went into exile. That means we still, we were never subject to being chased out of Israel. Only our bodies were chased out, but not our souls. So the, old, the point is, says the Rebbe, that if your soul was never put into exile, that means it's up to every single person to make sure that this feeling that your soul is not in exile is up to us to reveal that. In other words, you can say, oh, I'm in exile, I can't see my soul doesn't work like that. It's up to us if we really work on ourselves to be able to reveal this piece of the true essence that we're not in the exile. If you live with your soul, you live more in tune with the soul. You live more in tune with the reality that we have Yerushalayim and we're going to have it materially, then nothing gets in your way to serve Hashem. Also, there's another uh, thing alluded to by this idea about this verse of Shalu Shalayim Shalayim to ask for the peace of Jerusalem. So the Rebbe said in 1984 at a Fabringen, at the end of the year, again, the Rebbe was very much uh, talking there those days about uh, the Rambam. So he said that the Rambam points out that the Mizbeach, the altar in the temple, had to be in a very precise spot. It had to be in the exact same spot where Adam and Eve brought offerings and where, where Cain, Cain and Hevel and, and, uh, 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 and um, um, Jacob and Abraham brought Jacob and Isaac on the altar. The, the altar spot had to be exact, exact spot. There was no, you can't move it, you know, 20 cubits one way or the other. It has to be, it, it's Mekoymai Mechuvan B'yoyser has to be very precise. But the temple itself does not need to be exact, exact. A little this, a little that way is okay. Why is that? Why does the Rambam say that the temple could, doesn't have to be exact? It could be anywhere as long as it's on Mount Moriah. Why, 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 and the altar is to be exact. So the Rebbe says, from here you could see the reason for this is, is based on the idea that the, of the verse that the Rambam chooses as his introduction to the laws of Hilchai's base of Khir, the laws about the temple. Because he brings down this verse here, this verse 6 in this chapter 122. Pray for the welfare of Jerusalem. Ah, the whole of Jerusalem. That's why if the temple is not exactly on that, where it is on the mountain, it doesn't matter to precise. It's because the holiness of the temple really is spread out over the whole of Jerusalem. Let's move on to verse 7. Verse 7 says, Yehi shalom b'chelech, there should be peace that should reign within your ramparts and tranquility, shalva, tranquility should be in your armon, in your palaces. 
what is this uh, verse here referring to? That that the idea is that always when we're yearning for Jerusalem, we're yearning for the temple. It has to be in a way that we even ask for the details in the ramparts of places where we would normally have to have gone out to fight. Because there was like a, a trench that was built right around the temple area. And that's what you're asking here in verse 7, that there should be shalom over there, that we shouldn't have to go out anymore to war. And it should be tranquil in your in your palace, that the even, in other words, even inside the city, there should be calmness over there. Then you have the very heartwarming concluding two verses. And as I mentioned earlier, we say this every day of the year, before after Enkelokeinu, before Aleinu, you say these verses. Laman, Achai, Verei, all this should be, all this should be in, and for the purpose of, for the sake of my brethren and friends, for my brothers, Laman, Achai, Verei, it should be for all my brothers and my friends. Adabra, Na, Shalombach, I pray that peace should be within you. And so that's his warm uh, prayer here, that, he, that David includes all Jews to be his brothers and his friend. And all I want is that there should be peace. That's it. Everybody is considered to be your brothers and your friends, something that we could emphasize even greater nowadays to remember this, that everybody is your Achai and everybody is your Rei, your friend. And then he concludes with the final verse, Laman, Beis Hashem all this should be for the sake of the house of God, our God, and I ask you for your Goodness, avaksha, I ask, I beg for your toiv lach. So everybody in the time of exile says this, that we want all of this should be for the sake of the house of God. And let's just conclude with one, another idea of a letter that the Rebbe had written in 1974 and another letter in 1983 with a similar idea, that the following ideas. He says that the Medrash says that when it says you should ask for the peace of Jerusalem, he says that the actually the, the Medrash says that Jerusalem is considered to be the Shar Hashamayim. It is the gateway, it's the gate to heaven. Right? That we all know in Alacha you're supposed to always pray towards Jerusalem because that's the gateway of your prayers that go up there. Why is that? Because Jerusalem is such a holy city, therefore, it's not just the gateway for our prayers to go up, but it's also the gateway where our blessings come down from heaven through Jerusalem. So when you pray to Hashem for your daily needs, right? A Jew recognizes and you're affirming that Hashem is the provider of the source of your blessings. That's why just the fact that you've face towards Jerusalem, that alone is making the vessel because you're recognizing that all my channels come from Hashem and that's why I'm facing that way. So you're getting the flow. You're facing and meaning recognizing the flow. 
So Jerusalem, which is the first and foremost, it's the holy city because it's the it's a holy city, and it's also the Shar Hashemayim, the gate of heaven. So what does that mean? That the all the holiness that comes through comes through from there. Now this teaches us how careful we have to be that we're not allowed to make a crack in the walls that protect Jerusalem. What are the walls that protect Jerusalem? In other words, what are the walls that protect the Jew? It's your Yirei Shemayim, your God-fearingness to have the awe, the fear of Hashem all the time on you. And don't let that crack. As a matter of fact, the word Yerushalayim actually is made up of two words. Yirei Shalim. Complete fear. So you have to be careful not to crack any of the outer walls. And also to be careful not to crack the inner walls of the temple either. Because that has to be totally cherished. That's the temple itself. So the outer walls is the whole of Jerusalem. The inner would be the temple itself. So we need to be careful and make sure that this helps us to motivate us to be completely devoted to Hashem. And with this, we conclude about these many ideas on this chapter.